the first thing you notice about George Georgievsky is that he wears his heart on his sleeve. He also carries the story of his life, grief for his father and love for his daughters on his skin in a series of tattoos that extend up and down his arms and torso. The same arms that have created lunchboxes that have inspired millions of people across the world, seen him rise to fame on TV, gain 135,000 Instagram followers, be an ambassador for Jamie Oliver's Ministry of Food and go completely viral as the most inspiring lunchbox creator in the world. But according to George, he's just an ordinary dude from Geelong, quietly making lunch for his kids, each meal an act of love, created with care, fondness and attention, like it's the last meal he'll ever make. In this conversation, to be honest, we don't talk that much about lunch. We go straight for the full smorgasbord of who George really is, explore his tough upbringing and the months he spent as a teenager living alone after his father died suddenly, and he had to leave school to fend for himself and find a way to survive. Today, George is not just surviving, but thriving and relishing every day. Here's our conversation with George. So, George, let's start where it all started. You've talked about how a few years ago you came downstairs into your kitchen. Usually you leave earlier than than your fam. And you witnessed this massive chaos unfolding in your kitchen. Your wife was freaking out. Your daughters are freaking out. You were really shocked. What happened in that moment? Um, Well, basically, I was – I could hear the commotion, so I ran to the kitchen. I'm like, what's happening? You know, I I thought something was wrong. And – my wife and kids look at me like I was the odd one out saying, what are you talking about? This is normal. This is what happens here every morning. And I'm like, because I leave to go to work before anyone wakes, I missed out on that. I had no idea. And then I said to my wife, I can't let this happen. Like, this is just too crazy. Like, I'm suffering from anxiety now after witnessing this. So, something needs to change. And what can I do to help? And she said, if you can do lunches, I'd be stoked. And I, I must admit, I'm like, okay, I'll do it. I had no idea, but I said, I'll do it. And... um and that was it. That was the beginning. That's how it all started. So lunches became my responsibility and um, I started uh, started from there and I, I thought, well, you know what, I'm going to, I like this. This is not too bad. I, I enjoyed cooking anyway. So then I started getting a little bit creative. Um, one of the girls got a note back from their teacher or a parent or someone saying, hey, your mum should put this on Instagram, assuming it's my wife doing this because husbands don't do lunches apparently. And um, I didn't even know what Instagram was four years ago. So I, I downloaded it, uploaded a few images, then I started getting more followers. And then I think a network reached out and said, hey, want to get you on our show or something? And I thought, wow, this is real. And before I knew it, it just exploded. And you now have 135,000 followers on Insta. Yeah. How do you explain the, the passion and the following and the interest in what you're offering? It's crazy. I don't even, I just keep thinking I'm only doing it for my girls. So I'm only making the lunches for them. And that way I'm not going over the top or underdoing it to feel like I need to impress other people. Um, but then I noticed the other day that even on Facebook, I hadn't, because when I upload on Instagram, it automatically uploads to Facebook. And I, there's almost, there's like 
80, almost 80,000 there as well that, that I, to be honest, wasn't even sure about. And even TikTok, which I'm not a fan of, is like got 30 something thousand. So I have no idea, to be honest. But how do, I feel. Do you create all that content for all those social channels? Yeah. Well, what I do is when I do a post that I just do the cheat way and it's, a, I guess, a lazy way and you can automatically have it upload to your other socials and so with the caption and the image. So it does that. And occasionally I'll check to see what the story is there. And um, yeah, that, that's just, I think there's about a quarter of a million all up. How, how old are your girls now? Um, Kiki, my youngest, is eight and Anala is 11. And so what do they think about dad's oh, social media fame and they, celebrity? They love, they enjoy it. They, they do love it because I get them involved in everything I do. I've got a media policy. So what I do is when a, a media company reaches out, like usually TV, I'd say, you know, that's a, we want to have you on our show. And I'd be like, cool. I said, and I'd say, I've got a one in all in policy, which means if you want me, my daughters are going to be in on the show as well. So they'd um, like, I think at the start of the year. That happened with one of the shows, Today Show maybe, and they, they had to fly my daughters with me, you know, and um, we What stayed. about your wife? No, nah, she stays way out of it. She's in the yeah. kitchen? <laughs> uh, yeah, she's, she's the secret and makes everything. No, she chooses to stay out of it because uh, this sounds bad, but I've got like 97% of the followers are women between the ages of 25 and 45. So um, initially my wife like I'd mention her and, and her Instagram tag and she'd she'd get some like not so pleasant messages and um yeah like um because she's um believe it or not a uh, a Miss Universe body competitor like fitness body model chick is there a better way you could say that no she's more just like a um like a fitness model it's called ICN where it's all natural so no like she competes naturally with no you know chemicals and things like that and uh, and she she did it to just start with fitness and then she became Australian champion then Miss World and and then Italy last year she won Miss Universe for 40 plus category oh my so, God. so that's why I don't we don't tag each other or I don't tag her in um, and I sort of take keep it low because when I did she was you know people were looking at her going what the hell like like, how dare you let your husband cook? If he was my husband, I'd do this, you know. Um, I wouldn't let him touch the lunches. you got no idea, you know, all that sort of stuff, oh, you know. God. So, yeah, so that's why I'm all – Yeah, it is. So oh, it's, just troll, just troll yeah, behaviour. Just so were you – given she's got um, that background and phenomenal what yep. she's achieved, were you really interested in nutrition then, both of you, like even before the girls came along or uh, – no. No, to be honest. In fact, we didn't start this. Like she started her journey about the same time as I started the school lunchbox journey. So I've only been seriously into it for about four four years. And uh, otherwise we were just like regular, like we'd just do, do our thing, parenting. Um, you know, the kids when they're younger are harder obviously to, to you know, uh, with the responsibilities. But I've always been hands-on anyway. So it's not like I just all of a sudden decided to be a hands-on dad. I was always hands-on, but not as expressive with food as I am now, you know. Like, so you talk about family a lot in, yep. in your posts and, and you're talking about your own family too. Tell us a bit about your family. My parents came out from Macedonia in 68 and my sister was born in 69 and then I came along in 73. So I grew up normal struggling family, you know, because um, my dad was an industrial psychologist. He used to help people get back to work from injuries back in Macedonia that and that's what that was his profession and when he came here like the none of because back then it was a communist country and they couldn't get any recognition for their um, education so he uh, was a factory worker he was a laborer 
and my mum working in a factory. So we always struggled as kids. My dad got sick when when I was young and he uh, couldn't work. So the pressure was on my mum. And so we did it really tough growing up. What does really tough and struggle mean? You're obviously uh, talking yep. financially, but yeah. how else? Well, financially, to the point where you got debt collectors knocking on your door wanting to take furniture, you know, to pay bills. That's how I'll, I'll remember. I do remember those days. I remember the days my sister would go to school with ripped jeans, not because they were cool, because they that's all we had. And I remember my parents crying, you know, when my sister would leave, you know. And so that's that's how tough that was. But as far as struggling, we, we were... We were rich with love, but poor with money, you know. Um, and that's how I'm like, that's how I think of happiness and what love really is and, and what brings happiness. And how do you know you were rich with love? Because uh, love is unconditional. So when you, are like, I know I love my mum, my sister, my daughters with more than I love myself because. It's just I've seen the experiences my mum's gone through, you know, trying to work two jobs, me following in a, you know, foot, like trying to help her as much as I can. Like my dad, he passed away when I was young. He had uh, lung cancer and he passed away. How old were you when he died? Oh, I was in my teens. I don't remember exactly. So what happened was he he passed away and what happened was my sister got married. My dad walked her down the aisle and um, she moved out. And then my dad got really sick. He passed away within a few months. Then my mum got really sick and she was in hospital for about three months. So all of a sudden, within a space of about four or five months, we went from a family of four to I'm in this house on my own. That was that was just crazy. So I had to quit school and work because there was no money. Like, you know, we are getting you know, all these nasty letters and stuff. So I started working and- um, What were you working as? Uh, just at the airport, like at a car rental company, you know, just just at the service desk, just anything. And then I was working at a um, like a Red Rooster a part-time as well and until my mum came home and then I was caring for her. But you lived by yourself in the yeah, house yeah. as a teenager. Yeah, for, for three months. For three months. So, yeah, um, but even before then, like my dad was a cool dude. Like he was- he was like a feminist. He was. Uh, he understood. Actually, I won't say understood, but he he understood the concept of equality, and he embedded that in me when I was young. So, in my house, like it was not unusual for my dad for a Europe like for a European family, it is, but it wasn't unusual for my dad to be uh, cooking dinner while my mum was watching TV or resting, or um, you know, or, or my sister mow the lawn while I you know clean the bathroom. It was just there was no gender roles. Like we just did what needed to be done when it needed to be done. I always had that upbringing, but when I was on my own for that like three month period, I I was all the things that I learned had come into place. Like I knew how to wash my clothes, I knew how to cook, and I, I knew what I needed to do. But most importantly, the love that I um, learned gave me the ability to fight through, you know, and and support my mum and see the light in the tunnel and and all the rest of that so who, who helped you at that time no one we hadn't we got no i got no family we had no family and we still don't have family in australia at all like i've got no first cousins i've got no second cousins no aunties uncles no one you know so we did it um literally on our own you lose your way occasionally like i did a little bit how did you lose your way um with drugs but not heavy drugs like i'm talking like um like marijuana um, only because I needed to fall asleep 
and um, and I, I couldn't fall asleep knowing what I needed to do because at this time, and this is a terrible thing as well, but it was during a really drought, heavy drought, and so at the cemetery where my daddy, my, where my dad was um, is buried, the soil kept sinking, and it's like um, it was up to me to have to go drive my dad's car to a nursery and get um, crushed rock. And I do it. It felt like I did it every day. I know it wasn't, but it felt like I'd go to work, go to the nursery, pick up gravel, go to the cemetery, and shovel it in. So I felt like I was burying my dad every time, you know. And um, you know, so yeah, it was tough. Yeah. So drugs were a form of numbing. Yeah, it was a, a form of escape. I must admit, some amazing music and poetry came out of it. But it, it's not what I do. I don't. Don't touch it. Obviously, I, I can't. But it, it helped at the time numb the pain because I wasn't much of a drinker, and I'm not even till today. You know, that definitely um, helped. So, what's happened to that pain now? There's a there's a grief there yeah. that you're talking about, and that visual of you bearing your dad mm-hmm. repeatedly. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Tough. Yeah. What, where Don't deal with it. I, I I've never dealt with it. I'm still in mourning. After 27, 28 years, I've never dealt with it. What would dealing with it mean to you? Sitting down with somebody and really sharing it, yeah. Because people think it's not just a case of losing my dad. It was it was beyond that. He, like, I'd come home, to give an example, I'd come home from school and, you know, when everyone, when he was healthy and working, and, and I'd be like, Dad, I want to go play with my friends. And he's like, sure. Have you done your homework? Yep can I look at it? I'm like, yep. So I'd show him and he'd read it and go, this is good. This is something that your friends would do as well. And I'm like, yep. And he'd be like, but you're not your friends. You're George. And I know you've got more in you than what you've submitted, but this is good. But if you want to go out and play with your friends, that's fine. But I know you can do a little bit better because I, I think you've done this so you, quickly so you can play with your friends. And that's what they've done. But you're not your friends. You're George. Yeah, You're different. You're special. So then I'd think, okay, do I go out and play with my friends or does my dad really believe that I am special and maybe I have got something? So I'd go I'll, I'd go back in my room and redo it or add to it or fin- like put the finishing touches on it and then I'd show him and he's like, yeah, this is you. Go out and have some fun. You've earned it. So he'd get the best out of me. It's, you know, we differentiate between intrinsic, extrinsic motivation, whether mm-hmm. you're doing something to please someone else yep. or for external reward, for money, for praise, or internally because it's important to you, it yeah. matters to you, it changes how you feel about yourself and an, ex- an extension of who you are. Yeah. Which camp does that fall into, that story for you? For me it was, I think he was just ultimately trying to get the best out of me, but he wanted me to believe that I was maybe better than I was you know, and he was always um, saying that, like, you you got to believe in yourself. So It sounds like, well, you, at a time in your life when you didn't believe in yourself, yep. he held that yep. space for you. And yep. while he believed in you, then you could attempt to believe in yourself. Correct. Yeah. And even f- funny things, like we'd go to a shopping centre, just me and my dad, and he'd, he'd say there'll be escalators and he'd say, okay, if you're out on a date, pretend I'm a girl, if you're out on a date with me, where would you stand? And I'm like, right next to you. And he goes, but what if I fall? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't know, you fall. <laughs> and he's like, well, if you stood in front of me, 
one or two steps in front of me. If I fell, I'd fall on you. I'm like, that's right. He goes, so when you're out with a, a date and you're going, even walking upstairs or escalators, stand one or two steps in front of your partner or your, your date so that if they fall, you break their fall. I'm like, cool. And he goes, and then if you're walking down the stairs, uh, sorry, or if you're walking up the stairs, you stand one or two steps behind. So if they fall, they fall on you. And then you both fall. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. And um, and I'm like, and I get to check the butts out as well. I was going to say, I think yeah. you were dead head and eye. He for did, it, he did. You know, he was quite behind. cheeky. But the thing is, like, simple things like that, that you, you just don't read, you can't learn anywhere. That's something my dad taught me. Mm. It's the little things that, that are cool. So he believed in you. It Big sounds time. like he really um, yep. saw you and wanted yeah. Wanted you to, to grow into your potential. Did he believe in himself? Yeah. Yeah, he did. He was a confident man, but very wise. Like I'd see him kiss my mum and I'd be like, come on, guys, I'm like, I'm here. <laughs> and for a European, Southern European family, it's unheard of. You know, it just doesn't, you don't see a lot of expression from what I hear anyway, from, from other families and friends. It's not something that happens. So, for me, sharing you know, or expressing your love for someone it was a common thing. You know, just saying, you know, like I'd be playing soccer and he'd come and watch and you'd see the dads drinking and, you know, being men. Um, my dad was the opposite. He'd be like, I'm so proud of you. You know, I loved what you did and, um, you know, you, we might have got thumped 10 nil, but he'd look, you know, always at the half glass full approach, mm. whereas many European dads would be like, not good enough. He sounds so he sounds amazing. He was, You've got. Can yeah. you show us your tats? Um, you've got some tats on your arm, is it, of your yep. dad? Um, well, this is actually. Well, this is going to be hard, actually. But um, this was the first one I did, and I did it on his birthday, which is tomorrow. Believe it or not, his oh. birthday. Yeah. Um. So this is when we were young. The story behind this: we'd play uh, chess, um, but we weren't allowed to move within a week. So he'd make a move and I wasn't allowed to move for for seven days. So so you walk away from the chessboard yes. for a week? Yeah. So I'd, we'd never sit down in front of each other and play. He'd he'd move and then I'd notice he'd move and then I've got a week to to make a move, but I wasn't allowed to do it before then. So then I'd, I'd watch and so he'd teach me to play chess, um, but he taught me the basics and then, you know, and when we started playing seriously, he'd say, okay, seven-day moves. And I'm like, okay. So – what that did and, and what it taught me was like the chessboard is all about protecting the queen because the queen on a chessboard can do everything. She can go every direction and she without the queen, you're buggered. The king, he can only move one at a time. And if you think about it, um, it's like the relationships, you know, the, the women seem to be the strongest. They deliver the baby, the, 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 you know, our children and, you know, they go through the, the hardship so they can do everything. And the men tend to be, you know, not as um, multitask, I'd say. Mm -hmm. And so they can only do one thing at a time. So while we're playing, my dad would drop those lines like, you know, the, the queen women, you know, sort of thing. The pawns, the little fellas up the front, they come and go. They're not important. They're like friends, you know, um, like uh, or pretend friends. They'll come and go. They're not going to impact the game. But what's really going to impact the game is the queen. So, um, you know, and, you know, so we learned 
well, I'd learned and we play, you know, it made me think a lot. And the day he, day before he died, he, um, in hospital, he said, you know, he was so wise, like he knew he was passing away and he'd say, hey, the funeral, I don't want you to go over the top, don't want anyone like to, to sort of make a scene. Let's just do it. It's the closure, you know, but, you know, all these things. And, and then he'd say, then he said to me, he goes, remember we were playing chess? I'm like, yep. He goes, did you enjoy it? I said, no, I didn't. You know, I'm, I'm being honest with him. And he's like, he goes, well, um, it's, it wasn't about whether having fun and it wasn't about us spending time together. It was about you learning the queen. It could be your mum. It could be your sister. One day he said, you might get married. It could be your wife. It could, you might even have daughters. It could be your daughter. So the queen, you do what it takes to protect the queen. Because if you've got her in the game, you're going to be better off. Life will be easier. So protect her, love her unconditionally, right? And I'm like, oh, my God, you know. And then he, he explained the pawns and, and the other bits and pieces. And then he said to me that, um, you know, chess is about thinking four or five moves ahead and that's what life's about. So his chess analogy while playing and growing up was all about leaving me with a lesson about, about life, you know. And that's why this tattoo is the king, the chess piece, um, and me – following in his footsteps and that's his um signature it's mm. amazing that's from his driver's license i had it scanned and and that's that's his signature and that is a photo that i still carry in my wallet of my my mum and dad when they were young yeah when they were, they were when they were young mm. yeah so i've got the having, first, a, having a pash yeah totally what would you what would you like to tell your dad if if he was still here Probably if um, not if he's proud because I think he he was always proud regardless. I think I'd love him to to know that how much he inspired, you know, and um, yeah, that I married, you know, and I have got those two girls. So all those lessons he taught me were very are very relevant, and so just for him to know that. I listened, yeah, and I've taken it all on board, yeah. Yeah, and you're living it every day, aren't you? Yeah, With literally. your three queens. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and the lunchbox gig, yeah. it's it's a way for you to express and care for your queens. It is, and that's why I do, because I treasure life. Like when my dad died, mum got sick, I, I realised just how important every day is and if you don't, like there's not a day go by now where my mum and my sister, we don't call maybe once or twice a day and say, and end it with I love you because we treasure the time we have. And that's why when I do the lunches, I treat every lunchbox like this is the last one I'm going to make. I'm not making any more. So what am I going to do that's going to make this lunchbox at one o'clock when my girls open it and say, far out, I love dad, you know. Wow, Dad. Is it a secret till they open it? They don't know what's in there. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, they, they, I don't know if they do or not, but like I, I just make it so that um, they're happy when they open it and they can feel that, wow, Dad, this is so cool. That's all I want them to to know. So it's a form of expression of love for me. Yeah. So Mm. that's why. Whereas for most parents, it's an absolute chore. chore. It is. And uh, you've inspired like thousands or however many parents around the world to want to. Um, make better nutritional choices for their kids yeah. and, and perform those acts of love. Yeah. 
how do you sort of explain that phenomenon? Like what are you tapping there? It's unusual. I, I think what I do is because I keep it real because I, I, you know, I never um, – like I haven't sold out. Like I haven't done Dyson vacuum cleaners on my page, you know. Or <laughs> There's no steak knives. No, no, or teeth whitening products. What about the belly fat thing, you know, those things you oh, can strap those, on? Yeah, yeah. those. No. I haven't sold out because I feel the minute I do the audience, which are 97%, as I said earlier, women, women you can't fool a woman, a wise woman. She will, they see right through it. And because I've grown up with women all my life and my wife and two girls, so the minute I do that on my page, they'll see right through it. So that's why they inspire me to keep it real and and that's why the page keeps growing and growing. I think what it's tapping is the combination of authenticity as a parent, the love, the connection that you have, which is a reflection of what you have with your parents, that it's an intergenerational hand-me-down. Yep. Of the very best. It is. It is. And so you don't need a Dyson vacuum cleaner because people smell that and we want that more than anything. Mm -hmm. We want to feel connected in our family. We want to feel accepted, valued, seen and listened to, which is what you talked Mm -hmm. about. You feel that you want to tell your dad. You listened. You heard him. And even though, like, I even take the the piss out of myself as well because I'm not afraid to be vulnerable and, Mm. and stuff. So I'd even leave put a blueberry in with a popcorn deliberately, you know, because if you're a perfectionist, you look at it and say, that doesn't belong there, I'll fix it. But I'm like, where's I'm gonna, Wally? Yeah, I'm gonna put the I'm gonna put the blueberry deliberately amongst the popcorn so people can see, hey, I'm not perfect. And you don't have to be perfect. Mm. I actually noticed that on your you I was doing a bit of stalking on yeah. your Insta page and I got a bit twitchy when I saw, you the saw that. Blueberry yeah. in the, I was like, hang on. Okay. That well, you need a session. Yeah, yeah it's I, just, I do. Yeah, it's just my way of, of telling people don't take don't take it too seriously. Don't be perfect. Yeah. yeah. And also food is an expression of love for many people and I haven't thought about this for a long time but my mum used to do a few little lunchbox tricks back in the day. Mm-hmm. My mum, you can take this too yeah, if gonna, you want for your next definitely. book and I'll just give you her details you. for sure. a trademark. Yep. <laughs> um, in a slice of cheese she would write a note. Wow. So she'd get the knife and she'd write I love you or cool. have a good day in my slice of cheese how good is that that's yeah. pretty good i reckon you could probably take that and run with that take Tom. that from the 70s and bring it into the present little gherkin on the top would be good there as you well go. and also this is a bit more simple but there was hard-boiled eggs with notes written on them wow. so she would find ways to embed little notes love it wow love i love it, it. Question. Thank you, Mum. Ninety-seven percent women engage or mums. Where are all the dads like you? Oh, and that's the thing. They might be on your wife's Insta page. Yeah, they probably are on my (laughs) wife's page. (laughs) That's such. That's so funny. It's so good. But um, that's a lot of the times. That's why I get husband haters. Okay, because the the wife would show, and I had one recently actually, where the wife showed her husband hey check out this page look at this guy he makes these lunches and he's like well he he makes that's what he does full time she's like no no he works full time as well but he, this is what he just does well that's like um because that's not achievable and then i got a message off this guy you know saying you're setting unrealistic targets for dads that's why we don't that's why i'm not going in the kitchen so i get husband haters that don't like me but the um what I want to mostly do is inspire them to get in the mm. kitchen. So we need to broaden your target market. And actually yep. what's coming up for me now is that for a lot of um, men, when they're 
wife comes to them and says, hey, check this this dude out in Geelong and what he's yeah. doing, it's heard as a criticism. It is. You're not good enough. You're not yeah. doing this. So we need to actually help women yeah. express their unmet needs instead of saying you're not enough, it's I, I need, which is what your wife mm-hmm. said to you, yeah. which started the whole ball rolling. You yeah. said you said to her, what do you need from me? Sorry, yeah. there's relationship counselling and all roads like yeah, back no, to this of course, of I'm course. making notes. <laughs> but, but you said to your wife, what yeah. do you need from me? Exactly. I can say you're out of control. And she said, do you know, I just need you to do the lunches. Just start yeah. there. Except also in one of your interviews, you know, you've talked about where you have described that as I just wanted to help out yeah. and then you copped a fair bit of yeah. flack for that. Yeah, I copped it so much. The, what, yeah, what happened there? Oh, well, people think, um, oh, wow, a husband makes lunches. You know, like the Daily Mail's the worst. They, mm. And my mum rang me yesterday and she said, oh, you're in the newspaper. I'm like, no, I don't know of it. And she said, no, it's online. Looked it up. And yet, sure enough, the Daily Mail did an interview with me without even interviewing me mm. and printed all these things. And then the comments just... You know, he's a he, whoopee. Give give the man a, a medal. He made lunches for his kids, and I I understand why women think. Oh, you know, this is what women have been doing all their lives and for forever. So why should this dad deserve some credit because he's putting some lunches together? I understand where they're coming from, but it's not the fact that I'm making lunches that I want credit for. It's the the it's the ability to inspire people to better feed their kids. Even if I was a, a female, sure, I'd still do this. It's not a gender yeah. story. No, yeah, it's not a dad making lunches no. is not the big thing here. It's about how creative you are yes. in, in mm. what you're putting in those. Yeah. You you were talking before we went on air like, um, about your creativity. That this yeah. is just this big part of you that comes out. Yeah. Tell us about that creativity. Where's that come from? Yeah. What have her, its manifestations been across yeah. your life? Well, always as I was uh, being young i was always told to express how i feel and we uh we dinner usually would be the time because growing up my mum it seemed like would spend hours in the kitchen and then um to create a meal and that we'd enjoy as a family and we talk you know and that was our like therapy session and how was your day what did you do what did you learn all that sort of stuff and my dad would always say how do you, how did that make you feel or how do you feel so i felt easy saying to people, like I could say to the postman, hey, dude, I love you for, you know, <laughs> thank you for delivering my message. No, not no. yet. But, <laughs> yeah. I, but I have he been told off. very quickly. Because he might be one of the people trolling maybe, you on Insta. Maybe. Just not but sure. I'm not afraid to express how I feel. doesn't matter who it is, you know. Um, and I find those um, that least expect it need it the most, you know. I'd always express myself to the point where I started as a kid writing down how I'd feel and then I'd make it rhyme and then I'd be influenced by music. Um, like, uh, yeah, the whole, we spoke about earlier, the whole grunge scene where it was okay to talk about your, you know, your negativity and depression. It was cool back then to do that. I'd write my music and then I picked up the guitar and learned how to play self-taught guitar and then I'd put my music into like my poems into songs and then you know we'd, we'd create a band and you know we you know we played you know we loved it it was expressive time but I was the only one out of the, all the band members there was four of us that would write because they're not they weren't expressive or, or didn't know how to express themselves so i i'd write all the music and i still till today write music but what i found was um 
married two kids, I'd feel guilty locking myself up for a few hours at a time, writing my music and recording because my, my family's in the next room, probably where I should be. So I just figured out a way to um, channel my creativity through food and, you know, when started the lunches, um, you know, and I'd turn a, a simple piece of bread into a dumpling or a ravioli or spring roll and I'd rename them, like I'd call it Spring Witch, which is a spring roll sandwich. And I'd, I'd <laughs> created a name called Spring Witch. Ravwich, which is a ravioli sandwich, dumpling, which is um, sandling, because dumpwich didn't sound too good. <laughs> so I create all these fun names with my girls, and I'm like, okay, so look what that is created. What are we going to call this? And so we create these names ourselves. Um, and then you, it's funny you see other people saying them, like um, <laughs> like Larry Emder on Channel whatever show he's Seven on. Seven on the morning show. On the morning show, he when I was making him, he's like, what's what's that? I'm like, it's a ravwich. He's like. Ravwich, wow. And he goes, what's that? I'm like, Springwich. And he's like, wow, you destroyed the English language, you know? That's so, and I'm like, yeah, isn't that cool? This is our language that me and my daughters only understand. But now it's like But now Larry's and now he's cutting making, your lunch. He is, totally. Yeah, so, totally. And you're one of Jamie Oliver's Ministry of Food ambassadors. Yeah. What, well, what does that involve, that role? Well, apparently he's only got one and that's me. So that's crazy. And I'm not, I'm not even a chef. So I'm his only ambassador. Which is crazy. How did how did that happen? Well, I um I did his course. Like he had like a five week course about five years ago. My wife got it for me as a Father's Day gift, and um so I did the course and uh, I stayed on as a volunteer because I loved helping out. But then about a year or so ago, they reached out to me because they followed my page and said, "Hey, we love what you do. Can we have a meeting?" I'm like, "Sure." Went in, had a chat. And they said, how would you feel being an ambassador? So when there's a new recipe or a new program that Jamie introduces, like how would you feel flying to say Sydney or Brisbane to or Westfield and doing the demonstrations and talking? I'm like, you're crazy. Like, yes, I'll do it. I'll do it. And I did that. And then, um, you know, I'm still his ambassador. So I, I promote, you know, um, a, a program, Learn Your Fruit and Veg for Kids. And just in general, you know, um, fly me around doing some fun recipes that <laughs> he creates. A lot of flying. Wow. There's a lot of flying when you're it, an ambassador. With the learn, learn the fruit and, fruit and Veg, you've yep. talked about taking on sort of the state government and trying to look oh, similar that. to what he's tried to do is yep. really get a new um, protocol. Yep. What, what's going on uh, in that space? It's such a battle here. Um, like, uh, politics in Australia is all about the vote. And pre-election, they used, like, I was in, like, everyone wanted to talk to me because I'd present to them. I'd even bring a bento, like a lunchbox, and then I'd take a hot dog and a big M and a muffin to show them and talk about the differences in nutritional value. And uh, I won't mention names, but they're still current state parliamentarians. And They'd be like, well, I used to eat hot dogs and chips and I And I'm fine. And I'm fine. And I and I rode for Australia. And I'm like, so where did you finish? He goes, Oh, we we're eleventh. I'm like, well, imagine you ate this, you probably would have won a medal, you know? <laughs> so just the, the 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 limitations and it's all about the vote. And oh. I'm still battling. I'm still to this day fighting, requesting meetings. Um, they love me for a period of time that they can use in their campaigns and then they win and then they don't want to know you. Mm. So, I, I, Well, maybe I, your cookbooks are a way to reach the yes. bigger audience anyway. Yep. You've got a new book coming out, is that yep. right? Um, I sure do. First one that was out, Lunchbox Express. Uh, it was a number one bestseller on Amazon, which still, look, I get go look, goosebumps. I can't believe it. But so that, that went, that was huge. And then I recently finished, um, 
um, my second one called Air Fryer Express. Air fryers are a big thing. And um, what, what is an air fryer? And, oh my god! Excuse my ignorance. Sorry. Okay, it's like um, it's it's like an occult. All right, so the air fryers are huge. So what it is, it's it's like a mini oven that bakes, fries, grills, does everything. So you can do chips in there a lot when it's like potato chips that look like you know French fries, um, but there's they're healthy so there's no fat it uses hot air circulated air to cook things and it cooks it in half the time than a normal oven so air fryers are huge and a lot of my recipes because i'm time poor i need to cook and make things quick so i use the air fryer a lot and the publisher said to me hey we noticed you, you love your air fryer you've got so much content do you think you you can do 60 odd recipes i'm like done like let's do this and we did and we spent some time um i spent about two months creating the recipes a week doing the production and literally just signed off on on the cover and it's it's out australia day in january awesome Kit, i know you're not an ambassador for um dyson there's no steak knives <laughs> and no abra but what would your air fryer recommendation be i've got a few i've got like three at the moment okay. um or oh, one two three yeah three the ninja foodie grill is like it it does so much it dehydrates bakes roasts i love it i really do uh it's a good size it's like, ninja the brand yeah okay. ninja. they they do all blenders like they're known oh, ninja, as the I've blenders yes yeah um so would you not use an oven then if, you, no. if you've got an air fryer your no. oven becomes redundant yeah or, or i mean like I do roasts. I do everything. I make pizzas in the air fryer, pavlovas. Okay. When it, so Ninja? Ninja Foodie Grill. That's your number one. You just can't Can't go it. past the Ninja. Yeah, and I've, I've gone through all of them. Just a note to say this podcast is not sponsored by no, Ninja no, no, but, Foodie but Grill. But I have, been, I have he- been hearing more and more about um, air fryers. So I didn't get yeah. the memo, clearly. Yeah, you yeah, didn't get no, the memo, but yeah. so I just wanted to get it straight from yeah. the fryers I've still got the deep fryer. Yes. You know, that is yesterday's news. <laughs> now, this conversation we've had with you, George, has meandered from the, you know, deep and heartfelt to the silly and ridiculous. Yeah. We like to finish our chats by asking all our guests the same question okay. in, in the recognition that life is complicated and challenging and not easy mm-hmm. for any of us. Who do you think is doing human well? Well, for me, doing human well means to be genuinely in love, okay? So for me, there are so many people out there that I hope are genu- genuinely in love with no conditions. If, if you're one of those people, you're doing human well Mm. and for me i think anybody that has lost someone they they treasured um and are still strong and are using that as a positive reinforcement or positive um you know change uh, then they're doing it well you know even those that are struggling are, are struggling because they're in a you know part of their lives that they're struggling but i'm just hoping they'd they're struggling so that they can learn from that struggle and do human well. Mm-hmm. So based on that on that response, you're doing human pretty well, aren't you? I, I, I'm, I'm never one to sort of talk about myself, but I can tell you that I feel I'm happy mm. because I'm in love. Mm. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Human Cogs. 
We know that being human is pretty messy for the best of us, and we really hope these conversations challenge what you think you know about yourself and maybe some others in your orbit. And you know, Mads, as a psychologist, I know I'm having a good day at work when people say to me, Sabina, I've never thought about it that way before. That's what we hope your experience will be listening to Human Cogs. So if you want to find out more about other episodes or about this episode, jump on our website at humancogs.com. 